Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Dr. Nicola Perra, the holistic psychologist. And if you want to build better relationships with others, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chappell. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Build Your Network podcast. Today, I have the distinct pleasure of sitting down with Dr. Nicole LaPera. As a clinical psychologist in private practice, Nicole often found herself frustrated by the limitations of traditional psychotherapy. So wanting more for her patients and really for herself, she began a journey to develop a united philosophy of mental, physical, and spiritual health that equips people with the tools necessary to heal themselves. She is the creator of the self-healers movement where people from around the world are joining together in community to take healing into their own hands. Her first book, How to Do the Work, is currently in pre-order with a release date of March 2021. And uh, so guys, it's going to be such a such fun conversation with Nicole. We've had a couple of pre-chat conversations, and I just know that, uh, that we're going to have a really good time here today. But first, really quickly, if you are a podcaster or you are somebody that likes to be a guest on podcasts then you're going to want to head over to guestio.com to check out the software that my team and I recently put out that basically helps connect you with the other person. So if you're a podcaster, it helps connect you to guests. If you're a guest, it helps connect you to podcasters. 
and so that you can get more exposure into, you know, whatever it is that you got going on, a book launch, a product launch, um, whatever it is that you're doing as a guest or as a podcaster to go get a high quality guest on your show because I know how difficult that process is. So guestio.com, guestio.com, you can hover there and build out a free account. There's an entire free marketplace of really high quality people that you can get for free on your podcast right now. And there's an entire paid marketplace full of a bunch of high level experts like Jordan Harbinger and Manny Pacquiao and people like that. You can go on there and you can pay to book some of those dream guests as well. So guestio.com, head over there, check it out. And, uh, and I look forward to hearing from you guys on that really soon. Nicole, thank you so much for joining me on the show. It's been a pleasure to have you on. Of course. Thank you for having me, Travis. Yes, ma'am. So I want to first off dive in, build a little bit of context for those listening around what it is that you've been able to build. Uh, just a really, really incredible movement that you've put together and from a really unique perspective and background. And so, you know, there's a lot of noise on the internet these days and there's a lot of people that claim to do a lot of similar things to what you do, but without the uh, training and certifications that you also boast, which I think provides a super unique and valuable perspective that's very much needed in, in, in the space. And so I'm curious to hear how that all started. So let's rewind the clock, go back in time, talk to me, let's say 12, 13 year old Nicole, uh, you know, what were your, what were your parents doing? Where did you grow up? Stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. I was definitely not dreaming of, of movement making as 12 or 13 in any way, shape or form. I was born and raised in Philadelphia, so I was definitely a city girl at heart. I was actually born later in life to my parents who had already had an 18-year-old, my brother, um, and a 15-year-old, my sister. So wow. as my dad fondly calls it, fondly calls me the, the accident child, the unexpected one. Um, so I came along late in life and probably by around age 12 or 13, I was quite fascinated with, with people in particular with what made people different than myself, what made people similar to myself. So you would have seen me doing a lot of reading about other humans. I love to read psychological thrillers and really understand the mind. That quickly translated into um, the what I want to be when I grow up being a psychologist. So on the personal side of things, I was someone who by age 12 and 13 was definitely intimately familiar with um, psychological issues, emotional issues, mine being anxiety. I, as long as I can remember, was a very fearful child, always waiting for the next bad thing that was going to happen to my family. So I think, again, as a lot of us, you know, drawing from our own lived experience, I was struggling um, in terms of my own anxiety and very much so wanted to then go into a field of not only understanding, um, but of helping, obviously, myself and others to get better. What do you think drove you as somebody that was that young to finding the solution to that problem, if that makes sense? Because, I mean, like, like you just mentioned, a lot of people suffer from anxiety, but not everybody's going like, what's going on? How can I fix this? And how can I heal my... Like, there, there's a whole group of people that just kind of accept it as like a condition that they're going to have to just live with forever. And there's not anything I can do about it. But then there's a different approach that you took that was more like, how can I understand this and help alleviate some of this? Why, why do you think that you were thinking those things even at such a young age? I think from a very young age, or I know from a very young age now looking back, that given the environment I was born into from my family to the, you know, the structure of my peers and, and where, you know, everything I was going through at the time, 
I, like many of us, became very other focused. I showed up in my family very acutely aware that my mom was also a very nervous person. There was a lot of anxiety in the home. And from a very young age, as I think some of us do, we begin to adopt, wear masks or adopt roles. So my earliest role was the helper or the worrier, namely about other people. So my byway into understanding and wanting to fix anxiety wasn't necessarily to make myself better, Um, It was more to relieve the suffering that I was seeing in other people. And so to simplify my answer, everything that I was born into in terms of all of the habits and patterns of those around me, you'll hear in my work, I talk a lot about that. I believe that we're very affected by the environments that we grow in and by everything that is modeled to us. I became a person that became very other focused. So that's how I understand then that desire was to help others um, very similarly to what I was seeing myself do in my friendships. I always wanted to make someone feel better or not upset them. So this was just a natural extension of that desire to help other people. So you end up going down that career path, right? And I think that you're very unique in the fact that you actually attacked the career path that you wanted to do from 12, 13, and actually ended up going and getting qualified that, getting qualified in doing that, and then starting a practice in that space. So can, can you talk, talk me through the decision-making process that took you from, I want to be a psychologist, to what you're doing now? Yeah, so it was very intuitive. I took the one psychology class that my high school offered. I went into uh, undergraduate at Cornell University as a declared psychology major. I was very much like soldiering on. And I knew um, at that time um, in training, the only way to have the private practice, that's what I was mainly interested in having, um, was to get licensure at the PhD level. So I very early knew that I was in for a lot of school. And I did that. While I was in school, I went to school at the New School for Social Research after Cornell University in New York City. It was a new school. And I learned all different ways to treat. I learned the very emblematic CBT. I went down a pathway of a a field of therapy that's called psychodynamic or psychoanalytic. Think Freud in a couch. Um, Essentially, I was absorbing. I was a sponge. I wanted to know all of the ways to work with people so that I could, in my opinion, you know, provide the best set of tools. So that followed after, after school, I opened up the practice and I married along. I had a very successful practice very quickly, meaning I had clients that came week after week, um, seeing me year after year. Um, and it wasn't really until I had my eyes, you know, on clients that came with many different issues that I began to see similar patterns, similar difficulty um, in terms of actually creating change of the way I think about it now of going from insight, all of the knowings better that many of us accumulate over life, even myself included, to the doing differently, to the actual creating change in my life. So that's really what motivated then my pivot into understanding wellness in what I believe is a more complete way. But yeah, so it was one school after another, like I said, really trying to understand and equip myself as fully as possible to then finally open the practice and find very overwhelming, similar patterns, regardless of whom you were um, and what your past experiences were. It seems like you've you've had a really good understanding from the beginning of what your you know calling or mission is in life, and you've done a really good job of staying true to that mission. And I think that a lot of people you know would have seen that early on success. I assume at this point, you know, when you started your practice, this is what, late, late 20s, mid to late 20s that you started the practice. Mm-hmm. So yes. having some success with something like that, 
um, you know, that early on in life, I think a lot of people would just get sidetracked from the main mission, which is how can I bring a holistic view or approach to having people enjoy wellness more, right? And I think that a lot of people might just get sidetracked because they're so focused on, you know, profits or focused on this new business or, you know, whatever it is that's going well that they kind of take their eyes off the prize in, in terms of what their real goal was from the beginning, which is wellness. And so if you can kind of talk into that for a second, for those listening, how can we make sure that we're taking account of the things that we're doing on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis, and making sure that they are things that are pushing forward the, the general mission of what we're up to in life and not getting sidetracked with like, you know, making a dollar here or creating a cool thing here or whatever it might be. Yeah, absolutely. And so interestingly, my path, you know, very uniquely required me to keep, I think to answer your question, to keep my focus not only on the now, though also on the future and the future I want to build to. So let me explain that a bit. When I first began, so I, I had my practice clinically, I was doing things in my private practice. And I believe that I was going to have that practice for the better part of time. I thought I was a clinical psychologist that did talk therapy, essentially. As I began to call into question how I was working, really starting to rely more for my own healing on a more holistic model, I began to really call into question, you know, how I was working, coming over time to the conclusion that I wanted to work holistically. Prior to this time, if you would have asked me if I had a passion, if I had a purpose, I would have said no. I thought I had a job being a psychologist. I felt somewhat connected to it because, like I said, it was a thing I always wanted to do. But the way I always described people, heard people describe this idea of passion and purpose wasn't resonating. So as I came to be aware that I wanted to work in a new way, I began to do so online out before I was even paid to do it. I, be, I created the Instagram account for me as an outlet for speaking this new truth of wellness. Before I even planned or anticipated, it, it would turn into my paid income. So very interestingly, my goal to create content and to put these tools, approachable tools out there for the collective began as my purpose without the kind of monetary uh, shingle that I was hanging on it. Before long, I did realize because working in that old way didn't feel an alignment to me, I realized that I did want to merge. I wanted to start to work more holistically all of the time. So yeah. over time, I began to then focus on, first it was translating into a coaching. How can I coach people to heal holistically. And then obviously that shifted a little more into what I now understand as being a teacher mentality. However, to more specifically answer your question, we're human and we do get very focused on the immediate, what's happening in front of us, whether or not because we're in an immediate state of need, I need to pay my bills. So the reason why I share that story I had some version of financial security in my old practice. I was able to pay my bills while I was building toward what my future would become. So that allowed me and the necessity of having to pay bills required me to stay in that space. And what was helpful for me while it was tiring and I was doing multiple things, I knew over time that I would be able to refocus and recommit fully holistically. So I kind of was forced to keep my eye on what I needed to in the in the moment, pay my bills and what I was building to. And I think that's the ultimate answer. We have to find that sweet spot that differs yeah. for each of us because I do acknowledge we do have immediate needs. 
For some of us, they're financial, right? For some of us, it's emotional. For some of us, our, our world just doesn't allow, you know, our, our, our new projects to fit into it yet. So how do we execute and also march forward? And I think focusing on a game plan and then breaking it down into how do I get there? So it's, we have to learn how to pivot where we're marching toward a future that is in a direction that I want to go to and break it down into, okay, what does that mean for here and for now? How can I get there in a sense? I love that answer because of how practical it is and because of the power of the side hustle. And that's, that's so true. And it's exactly what I did with this, with this business, with my podcasting business is the same thing. Like I, I had, I had bills to pay and I had to put food on the table. So I kept doing the thing that I was doing, but at the same time, when I looked forward into the future of my life and saw what the picture uh, looked like of me continuing to do the same thing that I was doing, I didn't like it. And so I was like, well, if we want to change the destination, we got to change the direction at some point. And, uh, and you, don't have to, you don't have to quit everything and go all in and, and, and uh, you know, risk you know, your family's well-being over it if you are somebody that's providing for a family. Um, you know, you don't, you don't have to do it that way. You, there's another way to do it. And this way is actually a little bit healthier because you can make those long-term decisions that benefit the business. And, and like what, what you were just talking about, being able to create content without the pressure of monetizing it allowed you to be able to really probably cultivate and craft your message and find the audience that was really resonating with the things that you were doing. So along this way, Nicole, what, at what point along this journey did you figure out that this is a hot button issue that's actually really resonating with people? Because now you have millions of followers across all your social platforms um, and you've literally created a movement um, of this of this self-healing type of a community. And so th- there had to be some sort of a, a time period where you look back on as being like, yeah, there was a, you know, this happened and I was just like, wow, this is a message that more people need to hear because clearly it's resonating with this particular group of people. Was there a time that you look back at for that? It, it, it honestly, Travis, that, that time came quite early on. I do want to mention my, my intention when I, when I did carve out the space, created the Instagram account, I had, I had two part intention. The one, the one intention was to just speak my truth, regardless of how many were receiving it. Because for me, I had come to realize at that part of my healing journey, I saw enough of my habits and patterns that I came to realize that I had a, a very lifelong tendency of diluting my beliefs, my truth, what it meant for me in favor of others and particularly of not upsetting people. And this translated perfectly to the job I did. So for me, my, my two-part intention was to speak my truth without expectation of, of whom would be on the receiving end of it or how many whoms or what they would do with it. Obviously, my goal was to empower maybe one or two of them. And my other intention was to begin to connect with other people and their truths. Um, I was feeling quite lonely. I was looking for those more authentic connections. Hmm. So with that said, I had no expectation of, of what the receivership would be, though quite early on, it was clear to me how universally resonant this was because not only, you know, were, were the numbers, you know, increasing people were dropping into my DMS or my comment sections from quite literally around the world, different cultures, different languages, even sharing very similar universal experiences. So that's when I really became, became a firm. So I had my practice. I had all the different types of different experiences that I had of different clients seeing these similarities. Now I have access as, as social media and internet world gives us to the greater collective. Now I'm seeing this at mass scale. So quite early on numbers started to, to uptick resonance came in. I heard a lot of people who were saying, Hey, 
I too have come to these realizations. I had no idea anyone else was thinking in these terms, was living in this way. Um, and that to me, like I said, really solidified, like I was talking about earlier, my decision to make that pivot and really begin to then profess that truth and to think about how to harness that which is social media to deliver then content that could not only translate in terms of, oh, I understand my truth, how can I apply? How can I create change regardless of where you are? So the simple answer is quite early. And then obviously, as I watched it spread and spread and spread, it became even more clear to me that I'm hitting something that's quite large. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is, uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is, is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. You had mentioned earlier that you were seeking connection and that you felt lonely in this process. And this is the Build Your Network podcast, so I would be remiss if I did not ask a little bit further about how you were able to do that and what that did for this new business. So connection is, is we are interpersonal creatures. I believe each of us human needs connection down at our core. I also have come, had come to realize that we, even as a clinical psychologist, a lot of us aren't authentically connecting with other people. We have many relationships, some of us around us, but in terms of fulfillment and authenticity and depth of connection, I came to realize that a lot of us aren't having those relationships. We're not connecting authentically, right? We're connecting in all of the ways that we learned best how. Um, so with healing and with changing comes a lot of relationships that shift and change. I started to show up differently, which meant I started to drift from some of those older relationships I carried. So instinctively, 
I got lonely in a new way. I got lonely now because now I was learning how to be my authentic self. And I was really desperate to find those humans that got it in a new way. So for me, it was integral. You know, it started with me creating changes in my relationships that existed, whether or not changing the way I showed up or creating new opportunities to connect in new ways, and then doing so within the community. What was born out of that um, is the new virtual membership. Um, so it's very soon, you know, the Instagram community was thriving and I began to see and hear and express need for people who not only wanted, you know, a deeper level of healing, but really wanted to do so in community. So then I birthed the idea of how do we translate what is happening very beautifully on Instagram into a space away from social media, right, where we can begin to heal in community. So there became the birth of the self-healer circle, which is now the virtual membership. So that was a very long way of getting to, in my opinion, our relationships are integral. For many, they're keeping us stuck in habits and ways of being that aren't serving us, many of them, and creating change in our relationships, um, for many of us builds a foundation for creating change in our lives. So wherever that is, whether it's with the one friend or the one therapist or the one mentor, business mentor that we have, and or finding the community online, I believe that relationships are a key to to healing, to change, and to life in general. Right, I mean, I couldn't agree more. That's the reason for this show is basically to say, you know, our environment is what shapes us into who we're supposed to be, the people we hang out with, the things we watch, the things we consume, all those types of things. But the one thing that a lot of, like most people agree with that, right? Your environment shapes you, creates you. But a lot of people don't take ownership of the fact that you have the ability to control your environment. So ultimately, it's in your control what shapes you. Because if you can control your environment and your environment shapes you, then you need to take purposeful action to set your environment up in a way that's going to make you the person that you want to become or turn you into the type of person that you want to be um, uh, more of, or just allow you to be who you really are and, and, uh, and then find people who resonate with that version of you. Because I think, that, I, think that's what, I think that's what a lot of people go throughout life, just kind of searching for this thing because their only iteration of who they are is the version that everybody else told them that they should be for the first 25 years of their life. And uh, they never took the time to sit down and figure out who am I? And then how do I find an environment of people and things and culture and content to to, like help me be more of who I am? And uh, I think that the work that you're doing there is amazing. Where where, where can people, if somebody listening right now has, uh, you know, a question or two about that, that membership, where can people go find that? Absolutely. So I have a, my website is yourholisticpsychologist.com. All the information will be up there as well as through my Instagram at the holistic psychologist. Enrollment will open on January 1st. So we'll be letting in another group um, of self-healers. And I just want to speak to a point you said too, because I think it's really important and why I call this movement self-healing. We all want to change in relationship to others, though, in my opinion, the change really does come within. So changing the relationship we have with ourselves, right? With even our physical bodies, our emotional bodies, and then how we express that self to others really does begin from the inside out. So while I say we change in relationship, the work also begins internally where we begin to just show up differently for the first relationship we have, which is with ourselves, And then that translates outward. Love it. I, I got to ask you this question, Nicole, because it's the kind of the staple question of the show. I've asked every guest that's ever come on and with your background being heavy in education, but then also the conversation we just had about community and people, I'm curious to hear your answer here. 
who you know or what you know? Which of those two do you view as being the real asset in life and why? Interesting question. So I was hesitant to say what you know, because I believe, again, that bridge between what we know and how do we live in action so I think that there's limit. I think it's maybe a combination of both, which would be my answer, because the whom's we know can be a very positive, right, source of creation in our life and can also be the point in which we're, we're, we're really stuck. So I think it's when we harness both, um, when we become knowledgeable of ourselves and how we relate to others so that we can create change possibly in the whom we knows um, that we really do set ourselves up to live consciously. That's what my goal here is. Um, for some of us, that means creating change. And for some of that just means harnessing what is actually existent in our life, possibly the whom we knows in a new way to create change in our future destination. Can you tell us a story just kind of pulling through the archives of your brain for a second about a, maybe a time where you met somebody that you had no idea how big of a relationship would end up being? But you, you know, you met somebody through somebody or you coincidentally met somebody at this event and it turned into a partnership or it turned into a huge piece of advice that you implemented or this big story. Like, is there any examples that you have thinking back of, you know, something that, that you didn't really think anything of it at the time, but it ended up turning into this big you know, opportunity or situation that, that impacted your life positively? In terms of a person, um, I have a piece of advice. So I want to answer this in one way because I took a piece of what someone told me at a time that it registered to some extent, though really um, I embody it now. And then I'll, I'll, I'll share quickly a person. So the, the thing that I learned actually was delivered to me through a supervisor, a clinical supervisor. And that person said something very simple to me. Um, and it was actually around anxiety. So something I had very intimate relationship with. I imagine I was talking to this supervisor about maybe a client that also too had anxiety. Long story short, um, this supervisor urged me at that time, knowing that I had my own experience with anxiety, for me to never assume what I imagine the client needs. So the example was, if you have a client sitting in front of you, Nicole, and they say, I'm anxious, don't just allow your brain to map on your version of anxiety for that person. Ask, and, and obviously the suggestion then followed to ask directly, oh, anxiety means something for everyone, Janet, what does your version mean? So in that really little moment, I've revisited that so much. Because for me, that highlighted a very important part that's very in, in part of my work now, which is the subjectivity of all of us. We're all assigning meanings. We're all viewing the world through filters, typically ones that are colored by our past experiences um, that are also coloring then our current experiences and our relationships keeping us trapped in that past. So that's something I revisit often. Um, and I've incorporated now into my daily life, always reminding myself that you're subjective and I'm subjective. I'm constantly coloring everything that's happening. So the more I can expand and create space and make choices right now, instead of just allowing whatever perception I've been applying to all of these situations, then I can allow myself to create change. So that was really impactful. And I carry that one with me. The person I think that, that really, you know, that really kind of shifted things for me is, is my current partner. Um, when her and I met, we were both in some very early stages of awakening, if you will, realizing from a trajectory, a long history on both of our ends of relationships that didn't work. Um, we both showed up to this new relationship space with the conscious intention that we wanted to do things differently and we wanted to grow and change in evolution. This was our idea of partnership. And at the time, you know, we were both caught in a lot of habits and patterns that weren't serving either of us. Um, we were very opposite in a lot of those habits and pattern causing, as a lot of us do, you know, points of, of eruption. 
Um, but the reason why I point her out is for two reasons. One, not only was she the person who we became conscious and really, you know, explored ourselves and created change both personally and as a couple together. She is a person who before I could, she saw a self in me, a person in me, a future person in me, if, if you will, that I actually fought tooth and nail against, um, mm. caused a lot of conflict early on. You know, she would see things and call into question my limiting beliefs, things that I would tell her I can't do, you know, stop saying that that's not who I am. And she always held space for the possibility that it was. And as much as I wanted to knock her out, her name is Lolly, in the beginning of this journey, because it challenged me. And, and it was very difficult to, to have that space held, um, because all I knew of myself was not that person. Hmm. Yeah. Um, that was the most challenging, in my opinion, though. That is what I now hope to offer others. I hope to be the person that's holding space for a future that's different. Even if you don't believe it yourself in whatever area, business, your personal life, your relationships... She held that space for me. She allowed me to walk into and to create that future self for myself. And in my opinion, like I said, that was so incredibly impactful. And talking about relationships as well, a lot of people in our lives hold on to older versions because that's all they know of ourselves. We right. hold on to older versions of ourselves. So again, wrapping back around to, to what Lolly offered me, continues to offer me. And now what I hope to offer people is that message of empowerment, that space to question, to wonder if a future can look a little different. How can we ask ourselves those types of questions in a healthy type of a way? I don't know. Let me, let me kind of expound on what this question is, because um, what you just said is highly impactful. And uh, I think that it, it uh, gives people the room to change things about themselves that they don't like or things about themselves that that might be blocking them from becoming the ultimate version of who they see themselves to be. Uh, but a lot of times it can be really difficult or scary to think about changing in a big way. So uh, when, when I ask that question, I'm saying like, how can we question who we are now without losing touch with reality? Because I think there's a, a, a line almost where some people go overboard and then that's when that's when they become like this version of themselves that can't even function in society because they lose touch with reality and view change as this, you know, crazy, you know, does that make sense? Like, like the, without stepping over the line, how do we healthily question who we are now to make a better future? I hope that question makes sense. Yeah, well, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I, I want to begin to answer this question by acknowledging quite universally that us humans don't like change. We actually evolutionarily are, are wired to stay within those familiar bounds, stay within those familiar neural pathways, because to our subconscious, which directs our daily happenings from our thoughts to our feelings and our behaviors, 95% of our time, to our subconscious, something that is new could be possibly life-threatening. So we have an evolutionary desire to stay within those familiar bounds, which is why when change is either created for us, like we're all living now with 2020, our lives look drastically different, we had no choice, to when we actually believe we want to change, right? We, we create the intention to do something different. What happens for most of us is we feel that instinctual pull back to the familiar. We, I term it resistance. We either get the litany of reasons why in our minds not to do things, we feel uncomfortable. And before we know it, we're right back there to our old habits and patterns. So I speak of this and I'm offering this here because I know that 
you know, that, that return to things that aren't working, especially for those of us that are insightful, that are aware, can be one of the most frustrating, even shameful experiences. So I just wanted to acknowledge change is universally difficult. It's incredibly helpful, that same kind of pivot mindset that we were talking about earlier, when we talked about our goals, having a healthy awareness of that which is, right? Being honest with ourselves is part of it. Seeing ourselves clearly, right? Not delusionally painful honesty, observing and witnessing the habits and patterns that aren't serving me, the less than shiny parts, my shadow, all of the things that maybe I was told to hide or to repress. Allowing that to come up into consciousness can be incredibly uncomfortable, which is why maybe some of us overcompensate in a different direction. So it's that balance, right? We have to make space to be really honest with what's there. And so whether all of the discomfort that comes along with seeing very consciously and clearly that which is, and then also creating the opportunity to create a future that's different. So it's that pivot point still, acknowledging what's here and maybe what brought me here while having a healthy awareness of where it's possible for me to go. And a lot of times, like I said, we overcompensate, we get uncomfortable and we don't really wanna see. And those habits, the ways that we have avoided it for so long worked for, for, for to some extent, at least thus far. How do you think people change? Like what's the number one instigator of change, it, especially when it comes to your belief in who you are, like you, you're, you, the way that you see yourself, the who you believe yourself to be? Because ultimately, regardless of intrinsic truth, right, we are who we perceive ourselves to be because all that really matters is our perception of who we are. So how can we, like, how does someone start to make change in the belief that they have about themselves? I guess is what I'm asking. I believe the foundation for change is consciousness, is seeing that which is there, is creating the space between my old habits and my old patterns, is becoming aware. I believe that no change happens without that because what happens is we go back right quite instinctively into that autopilot. So creating, for many of us, it's, it's a new habit of being conscious to ourselves each and every day, of showing up as the witnesser, as the person who can begin to make new choices is where change begins. We don't change because most of us, we have insight from that very conscious part of our mind. We plan to do better at this future time, but by the time that future time gets here, I'm right back into that comfort of that familiar, into those autopilot patterns and I'm not actually able to execute the change. So you'll hear me talk on and on about the importance of becoming foundationally a conscious being, one who's present to myself, one who's in my physical body. I mean, these sound like very simplistic things, maybe to some listeners, though they are the farthest thing from simplistic. They are an action of reconnecting for many of us with my body that at one time might not have felt safe, learning how to regulate my body and my emotional system learning how to be present to what's happening now so that I can create a new choice. All of that comes with practice. Um, that is, in my opinion, the foundation for which change happens. So that begins by exploring how conscious of a being are you or aren't you. Set an alarm for random times during your day. And when that alarm on that cell phone goes off, check in with where your attention is. Where are you? Are you fully present to what's at hand? Or are you lost in thought? Are you somewhere else? Chances are, if you're like me, you're going to fall into that latter category, giving you an opportunity to practice being conscious, tuning in. What can I smell, touch, taste? Can I focus on my breath? Can I be here in this moment? And then can I repeat that moment time and time again so that I'm spending more time conscious with choice than in my autopilot? 
So you have a new book out, How to Do the Work. I assume a lot of things that we're talking about today are things that you talk about in the book. But if you could give us just kind of a brief synopsis of, you know, the, a couple of the top takeaways, like who this book is really for, and then let us know where we can go pick up a copy. This book, in my opinion, is, is for you know, any human, any human who's stuck, who resonates with the, the experience of right, great intentions, maybe even a past attempts at creating change, um, yet the inability to do so. Um, this book is for everyone who's tried to create, you know, a pathway to healing and who has possibly, you know, not been able to maintain change. There's a reason. So the book really highlights and overviews my model of holistic wellness, incorporating the mind, the body, and the soul. As far as I see it, we are all an interconnected being of all three of those parts for lack of a better word. Um, so the book will really unpack many of the reasons why we're stuck um, in our past experiences, carrying, wounding, and trauma and habits and patterns from our childhood. And then of course it takes that pivot and begins to look at creating a future that's different. In addition to me sharing my own healing journey and many other clients and members of the self-healing community, the end of each chapter, um, we talk very practically. We talk about how to incorporate that concept into daily life. So whether we're talking about reparenting, showing up for my physical, my emotional, my spiritual self or ego work, each chapter comes with a how-to. How do I bridge the gap between this is a concept and this is now a daily action or habit that I use to create long-time change. So as far as I see it, I'm hoping this book provides for many the roadmap of holistic healing, giving them you know insight or awareness um, into reasons why we're stuck. And then, like I said, giving those that are interested in beginning the journey of healing into how to begin to incorporate this. So the book is currently on pre-sale. It will be birthed into the world uh, March 9th. So anyone who's interested can jump on the pre-sale list and pre-order it now, and it will come out on March 9th. And I cannot wait. And where can we go to pre-order that book? So the book, I have all of the links for pre-order. Um, very gratefully, we have, the book will be um, translated into many different languages. So anyone listening who might be international, everything in my link tree will be all of the different links and all the different directions to get whatever copy um, would help you feel the most understood. And it'll all be in my Instagram and my link tree. Cool. Awesome. So Instagram would be the best place to connect with Nicole and make sure that you head over to the at the holistic psychologist on Instagram and uh, click that link in the bio and make sure you get on the pre-order list. Do it. Do it now, guys. Like we always say on the show, whenever we recommend a book, go get it now because, you know, life happens and sometimes it's difficult to remember what books were recommended where and all that kind of stuff. So go do it right now before you forget. Nicole, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. We got to move into the last segment, something I have to call the random round, just quick random questions, quick random answers. You ready? Gotcha. Yes. Shoot. (laughs) What is a profession other than your own? Do you think that it would be fun to attempt? Dancer. I have always, I have a childhood desire to be a dancer. (laughs) (laughs) If you could sit on a park bench with someone, past or present, and chat for an hour, who would it be? Uh, I'd love to have a conversation with Dr. Joe Dispenza. How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, videos? All visual. I can only read. If you're talking to me in my ear, I can't understand you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the same way. Yeah. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. So my morning starts quite early. Um, I typically get up at five. Uh, You'll see me doing some future self journaling, creating an intention to keep change happening in my day to day. 
Um, you'll definitely see me doing some meditation that some mornings looks like a walking meditation where I walk up to the beach where I'm very lucky to live near um, and or a typical sitting version of meditation. There'll be some breathwork practices happening and some movement, whether it's yoga or weights or something like that. So I have a nice full morning um, and it usually involves all of those things. What is your go-to pump-up song? Oh, go-to pump-up song. That's a really good question. I can't think of any that are coming to mind right now. Well, we'll, we'll get it from you at some point, Nicole. We have this I'll long have running tally of all the people okay. we talked to on the show and we have like a Spotify playlist and all that stuff. So I'm sure I have a go-to pump up song. I'm just not thinking of what it could be right now. <laughs> Whenever you come up with it, just shoot it our way. So <laughs> um, all right, Nicki Minaj fly. That's it. There we go. That just popped yeah. into my head. I love her one. <laughs> what is something that you are just not very good at? I am not good at sewing at quick fire rounds. I'm not good. I'm actually not good at quick fire rounds. That's actually true. If you, I'm catching myself. I'm not talking on each other. I'm not good at quick fire rounds. Sewing <laughs> uh, is a good answer too. My, my answer to that question is usually laundry. I, my, my wife always has to come back after me and refold all my laundry. Cause I, I think I'm fine at it. Cause I, I don't, I ruin it and I, <laughs> I don't get upset by it. So I guess I'm definitely not good at that either. <laughs> As we get everything wrapped up here, Nicole, what's one place online where our listeners can go to connect with you the most? Uh, Instagram is probably the one that I'm on the most, um, though I do have a YouTube channel where I put out teachings every Sunday. So anyone who likes the shorter video visual format of teaching can check out the YouTube channel. Awesome. So on Instagram at the holistic psychologist, you can go check out some of the stuff that Nicole's putting out on YouTube. Um, she's got some amazing content. Like I said, at the very beginning of this interview, um, it's it's a breath of fresh air to get a lot of the other aspects of healing from somebody who also is, you know, formally trained as a psychologist. So um, I think that you guys will really enjoy a lot of the stuff Nicole's putting out. Be sure to go follow her on Instagram, connect with her there, um, you know, screenshot this episode, upload it to your Instagram story, tag me, tag Nicole, and uh, we'll go over there, have a conversation, say what's up in the DMs over there. Nicole, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me on the show. Uh, this is a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me, Travis. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, 
you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.